0: Welcome to the Center Mid Philosopher. This episode is brought to you by Augustus Royale Fashion. Life's not black and white, it's gray, and gray is beautiful. Check out the brand below in the link. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of the Center from Los- Center Mid Philosopher. Have a uh, unbelievably, um, we're unbelievably honored to have such an esteemed guest and Doctor uh, and Professor Andre uh PhD in Political Science, MBA and Master's of Philosophy from Columbia University, uh, very famous um, author of numerous books around the beautiful game of soccer. Um, One of which is Offside Soccer and American Exceptionalism, Gaming the World, How Sports Are Reshaping Global Politics and Culture, Sportista, Female Fandom in the United States. Most recently, um, his memoir entitled The Passport Home, Comfort and Rootlessness. Um, I could go on and on and on. Uh, He's been a frequent uh, guest of our beloved and uh, rest in peace, our favorite, Grant Wall friend of uh, of the show, Dr. Pavel Brunson. Um, so, Dr. Markovic, thank you so much and welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm really, really honored to be on the show and can't wait to talk to you.
0: Awesome. Well, the honor is all ours. And um, i pinching myself that someone as uh, esteemed and, and intelligent and famous would even uh, come on. So, thank you so, so much. And um, so just to start, um, you know, you've had such a cool upbringing and, 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 you know, coming from Europe and coming over to the States. And I wondered if you could just sort of tell the listeners and the viewers and myself a little bit more about your love affair with soccer in particular and, and what drove you to, to write so much about it and, and how you came sure. to love the sport.
1: Sure. I mean, and my, my love of soccer goes back to my early, early childhood in Timisoara, Romania. Where I was born which is was a trilingual city uh, it was Romanian of course but also Hungarian and German and um, I grew up in this middle class uh, Jewish uh, family of just my mother my father and me um, holocaust ravaged family and and uh, in 19 uh, born in 48 and uh, very early on as a little boy I uh, um, bonded with my father over soccer, and we went every, uh, those are the games we were on Sunday, we went to see our beloved Shtinsati Timișoara which was um, the actually the university team, and I became a, a passionate fan of the uh, university team, and, um, and uh, they, above all, when, of course, the hated uh, bigs from Bucharest came, we always went to the big derbies, and and uh above all the team uh, the the army team which uh, was, which later was called STAWA. Oh, yeah. and STAWA actually won uh, the european uh, champions league in i think 80 this i mean, uh, 87 or 83 or 80 something like that and um then there was of course the secret uh, service team dinamo all the dinamo teams in eastern europe were actually part of the secret service wow and there was the army team because every then then there was the locomotives who were actually part of the, the railroad workers teams. And uh, I loved Chtinza and then uh, uh, we listened to uh, uh, radio a lot from Radio Budapest and of course heard the wonderful uh, exploits of the famous Oran Chopot in Hungarian, the golden team, um, the, the magnificent Magyars who destroyed England 6-3 in Wembley and then 7-1 in Nebstadi on Budapest. And they were the most favored to win the World Cup and lost to West Germany, in arguably the biggest upset. Other than, of course, there was only one bigger upset. In 1915, Belo Horizonte, when the U.S. beat uh, England 1-0, mm-hmm. uh, uh goal by uh, Getchens, who later on was killed uh, by the Tonton Makut, uh, the thugs of the Duvalier regime in 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 his native Haiti, mm. and that was the biggest upset. By the way, completely unknown at the time in America. Completely, no one knew about this. It was huge. It's the biggest upset. I always argue in my sports course, um, very popular course, that actually it's a much bigger upset than our beating the the Soviets in 1980 in Lake Placid. Wow. Um, I mean, that was a the you know the gap was big. But after all, you know this was a good co- college team and. You know Wisconsin players and mm-hmm. and 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 Minnesota and and Boston College, Boston University, they all went on to the NHL. Not stars, but still, but um, our team beating uh, the 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 mighty English in 1950, who for the first time arrived to play in the World Cup, to deign to play in the World Cup, because of course before that they never did. You know the, the World Cup was for the world and not for us, and we were the best, so the English thought. Uh, and we beat them, and um, th- still the biggest upset in World Cup history. Anyway, 1954, uh, Hungarians' defeat to 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 Germany, which, by the way, ruined Hungarian soccer to this day. Mm. Hungarian soccer never recovers from this.
0: Yeah, I remember reading um, about that.
1: Yeah. It leads it leads Germany to its uh, glorious uh, Wirtschaftswunder and also to become a an accepted a um, uh, member of the uh, of, of the, the world of nations and after the horrors of the Holocaust. And and so, the, the, it's, of course, known in Germany as das Wunder von Bern, uh, the miracle of Bern, and in Hungary it's seen as the hell of Bern. Mm-hmm. Um, to us, um, my father and me, the, the most important thing was to my father that this happened on the 4th of July, Uh, and that this was the birthday of the United States of America. And my father said, I was at this this time not quite six years old, uh, that this hopefully will uh, be the most important thing from this this match for me. And it really uh, was ultimately coming to America. Um, I, to this day, know the um, 11 starters of the Hungarian team. There are a couple of soccer teams that will always know by heart, namely the Hungarian 54, the Brazilians of 58, um, who were then the first I saw later on when we actually left uh, Romania in 58. Uh, I saw the 17-year-old amazing phenom called Pelé who dazzled uh, the world and, uh, you know, destroyed the French and the Swedes uh, single-handedly and won the World Cup. Wow. Wow. and uh, another very important event of 1958 was, of course, February 6, 1958, when we hear on the radio uh, in Romania that uh, this English team called Manchester United yeah. crashed in, in, at uh, Flughafen Riem in, in, in Munich. Uh, I had no idea what Manchester United was or who they were. Uh, but this really shook me up and you know had it been Bolton Wanderers or Burnley or or Arsenal or whoever I would have fallen in love with them right uh, never to leave and this is exactly what happened to me in United so I became a United fan on the 6th of February 1958 and have remained such relentlessly to this day Um,
0: well and you you had mentioned to me like so that was the Busby Babes right and you had asked me via email, because we're, you and I are kindred spirits, and um, one of which is our love for Manchester United, and uh, I, I'm so, that's so cool to hear that that's how you fell in love with them, and you asked me what, what drew me to them, and it, it's very similar to what you just said. It kind of all goes back to our relationship with my father. You know, when we were young in the States, you couldn't watch very much. You just kind of got what you could get, and I'll never forget, it probably would have been late eighties, early nineties. Um, it was a Man City versus Manchester United. Man U was down three nothing and they came roaring back and won four to three. I remember watching that with my dad, and we both were just completely captivated and we were hooked from then that on and have been diehard Man U ever since. Um and so I'm so glad you told me that story of you you come into love yeah. With Man U.
1: Yeah, no, I think these are lasting impressions and you know i what 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 political science is not path dependent and and uh, you know critical junctures which then leads to your path that that you just don't ever deviate from Mm -hmm. and so man united became this and um so we arrived then in vienna in 1958 and i became a fan of austria wien which is one of the so-called Jew clubs that uh, my student and dear friend Pavel Brunson yep. analyzed in his brilliant dissertation on the four U- U- the European Jew clubs: Ajax, Tottenham Hotspur, Bayern Munich, and Austria Wien. Mm-hmm. There's actually a fifth one, MTK, Be- MTK Budapest, mm-hmm. which I know very well. But I just, <clears throat> uh, I would, I, I just could not bring myself. Uh, to make Pavel learn Hungarian to do that. I mean, that would, that would have been just cruel. Um, you know, he learned Dutch, his English is flawless, German is his native tongue, but I could not make him learn Hungarian. Um, so there's actually a couple of uh, uh, sidebars in the dissertation on MTK, but they're not, it's not and, Um uh, So anyway, I um, become an Austrian um, Wien fan and uh, we go with my father. It's all my father. It's all about like my, the, the, the memoir is really an homage mm-hmm. to my father, yeah. and um, I become this Austria you know fan. But above all, then of course I start, uh, we immigrate to the United States. I start my relationship to the US, which actually uh, 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 is every summer between 1960 and 1967. Um, I go to various games in Randalls Island. When I'm here in the summer, I see Pelé again mm-hmm. with Santos. By the way Santos just got relegated. I
0: know, I saw that and they're For the
1: first time ever. I anyway. Know. Yeah. So uh, incredible. So <clears throat> yeah. um, so I um, um you know I I go to these matches even in New York even though of course by, by when well, in New York I associate everything with the New York Yankees mm-hmm. and I become again sort of path dependent since the age of 12 I become this Yankee fan. Mm-hmm. Yankees fan and you know, then the rest is history. I, I go to the World Cup in nineteen sixty six. I attend the final. Wow, I see the uh, the 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 goal to which of course to me will always be a goal. There's no question. the <laughs> famous you know g- g- goal number three. Uh, and uh, and uh, f- go to the World Cup in nineteen seventy four again with my father in Munich. Uh, where wow. we're rooting heavily, of course, for the brilliant orange the yeah. Dutch with Johan Cruyff, and and they fail. Um, and uh, uh, then we attend—I attend, I attend the, the World Cup of 1982, the World Cup of 1990 in Spain, in in, in Italy, mm-hmm. 1994 in the U.S. <coughs> I go to a number of games in Foxborough, but also in Stanford. Mm-hmm. um and you know on and on i've been to a number of european champions league finals uh wow. uh in 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 wembley ajax against panathinaikos wow uh and then uh actually um uh, uh bayern porto in vienna but the first one which was in fact inter uh against real in 1964 yeah,
0: in, in your book that was i loved that chapter so much about you taking your girlfriend at the time Ugh, and how okay. it, it, it just did that beautifully of kind of, it was really about just coming of age and then how you guys drifted apart and into the sixties and so forth. But that, uh, just that your affection of that experience was that you kind of got to show off to your girlfriend at the time. And your dad kindly gave you the, the tickets and it was Inter versus Real Madrid, like one of the most historic games of all time. I wondered like, you just listed some of the most epic. What, are, what would be like your top three or f- to five best games you've ever seen? I mean, I can't even imagine
1: best games I've ever seen. I mean, that's very hard. But um, you know, uh, the one thing that actually still bothers me about that amazing event is that I um, I went with my girlfriend, <laughs> whom I wanted to impress no end. She was my first girlfriend. And you know who didn't know the first thing about anything, and right. whatever. And I think we broke up six weeks later, whatever. Sure. And here I did not go with my father, oh, and no. my father, the, the this wonderful man who actually uh, literally sacrificed his ticket and gave up his ticket to go for me, and he was so much looking forward to go to go with with his son for the tour. the first time. There was actually a European Champions League final in Vienna, and it was between Real Madrid and 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 and. And um, and Inter my- Milan and actually Real Madrid still had pushkash on and it although was already declining but, you know unbelievable and you know who of course with whom my father more or less sort of grew up on the other side of the Romanian Hungarian border sure. listening to them whatever and and ultimately I go with Daphne who may she rest in peace she yeah. died when she was fifty I mean it's just a, it's a wonderful story it is. Um, uh, the greatest uh, sort of the greatest games. I can tell you a couple. One I will never forget ever, ever, ever in Seville, um, semi final France, <clears throat> Germany, 1982. Mm. Uh, the French lead three to one and they ultimately lose. With that, this was the great Platini.
0: Team. Yeah, I was gonna say
1: Platini, Giresse, uh, whatever, and this is where mm, where Schumacher. Um, actually ends Batistone's um, uh, career. He actually maims him more or less. He never apologized for that. Mm. The, the the German goalkeeper was disgusting. I never forget that. Um, so I was. That match was just epic. I mean, I will never ever ever forget it. We flew in. We were staying in Madrid for the World Cup. of b Flew in for the game from Madrid to Seville, and we saw that. Wow. It was just an an, an amazing, amazing game. That's awesome. Um, You know, I'm sure there are a couple of other, uh, I mean, I I assume you mean uh, games that I attended in person.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, you've just mentioned you saw Pele in person. You saw Cruyff in person. I mean, that's...
1: Yeah. um, Arguably, again, the 1966 World Cup final. Yeah, wow. Wow. Uh, 66 World Cup final, uh, 82 semi final. Um, um, uh, offhand, I mean, they would just so, so many. Uh, but the, I just they, they blur. I mean, I, on, on the club level, clearly, um, you know, United, uh, Bayern in 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 the Camp now. Wow, were um, you there for uh, that? Uh, no, actually, I was not there for that. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm but sorry. I, uh, no I was not there for that so actually back to again for where I was th- there for um um uh, yeah I think uh, I, I can't oh um uh, a Dutch uh, a Holland Italy match which uh, somehow uh, blurs where it was but it was an amazing game in which Cruyff again played brilliantly wow and oh oh, oh yeah 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 um Holland uh, Brazil. Wow! In at the at the seventy four World Cup, where the Dutch just literally destroyed Brazil. Wow! Um, phenomenal match. Uh, so there were a couple of of, of these, and um, all memorable and uh, and uh, you know important and and, and wonderful. Man, uh, even a, even a great United match against Newcastle at Old Trafford, five to three. Um where actually uh, interestingly um Alan Shearer scored his 100th goal for Newcastle making him the only English player to score 100 goals for two different clubs wow so I was there, and uh, you know, with with uh, Bartes was the United oh, keeper, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Gabriel Heinze played oh, on yeah. that game. I think he Love Mister Roy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was also an amazing match. I just remember United prevailing ultimately five three. Yeah,
0: that's so. awesome. So you opened the door for Man United talk. I want to get your latest and greatest. Of course, we had a good result this week. Um, sitting Rashford, which may have been the right thing to do, although I hate it for him. But I'd love to get your take on man, U right now. What, look, what are they going to do? How much are the Glazers to blame? How much is, do you like Tin Hag? Yes or no? What's the path forward?
1: Oh my God! If I knew this, I would immediately <laughs> hang up. Um, would immediately uh, fly to uh, um, to Manchester, take over Old Trafford, and become the hero of the uh, of the hour. Yeah. Um, look, uh, the Glazers are horrid. Yeah, they are. You know, what really bothers me about them is not they are not only um, they're cheap in spirit. There's something about them which is just really low class, Uh, you know, not being not sending anyone, not being there for Sir Bobby's uh, um, memorial is just disgusting. I mean, there's no you know, they just have no literally they have no taste they have no demeanor they're just they are just completely uh, that 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 to me bothers me the most that they actually don't care they're they are they seem to be you know i'm not even sure that they're only out for money i'm sure they are but uh, they're I, i hate them yeah but having said that I also see somewhat of a disconnect between that which I just discussed mm-hmm. and I hope that they leave any you know but they you know it, it, unfortunately they haven't and they've been the bane of my my existence um, by virtue of who what what kind of their posture is to to, to and, and it's, a, it's a form of neglect. It's disgusting it is. Uh, they just um, you know classless people, <clears throat> Uh, but, um, uh, that's disconnect between that and what goes to me, what goes on on the field, right? meaning not being able to string three decent passes, uh, uh you know, together and really, uh, really has, n- that has nothing to do with the Glazers per mm-hmm. se. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other yep. words, that, that, that they, that we sometimes, I mean, our game against Newcastle was a joke. I mean, it of was all. really embarrassing. I mean, the, the, as, this, as and that is not to I don't think the players there go, oh, uh, the the Glazers are horrible. We, hence, don't play well or something. Right. So, so these are two, two different <clears throat> things. That's right. And why such good players uh, perform so poorly and so inconsistently uh, I just can't really uh, grasp. I mean, uh then Ten-, Ten Hag a good coach, I mean he certainly was with Ajax. Look, uh, there's something that kind of worries me. When you really think about how many good players come to United and deteriorate. This is not good. It's troubling. I mean, think about think about how many great players we receive from Dortmund. Kagawa, um uh, Sancho, I mean, you know, these were, they were world beaters. They were, I mean, wasn't Kagawa the best player in the Bundesliga MVP or something? I mean, they were great, great players. And then something happens.
0: Yeah, and Mkhitaryan's doing great for Inter now.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, He actually went from us to somewhere else before he went to Inter. Right. Right. Uh, uh, anyway, and and so uh, clearly, uh, uh, I mean, he had some moments for United to be sure, sure, uh, sure. And but 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 they just de- deteriorate. Yeah. And and I, I, this is not good. I mean, whatever it is, uh, um, is it the pressure? Is it the atmosphere? Is it the copa But these are different coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this happened under Mourinho. It happened under. Um, I forget now who the other uh, was. It maybe even Van so uh, uh You know, so clearly that. what I just described <laughs> about this 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 deterioration is a worry. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, not, never mind Sanchez. You know, for the guy, for the, the the Chilean guy from sure. from sure. Arsenal, who was phenomenal, with
0: and also Arsenal in in, at Inter now doing fairly well. Sure. I mean, you know, he didn't start, but he had a couple key goals. Where at Inter. At, Oh, he's also at Inter. He's also at Inter. He started Artistic. in wow, the Champions seems seems League like- and scored Tour. at least Inter's one, maybe two. two. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. He yeah.
1: seems yeah. like uh, Inter with Lukaku and and then, you know, it's like the uh, Man United. Uh, it's, it's, the,
0: it man, it's like it's the, you go to Man U to get your career destroyed and then you go to Inter to get it resurrected. It's, it's the weirdest thing.
1: Um, yeah. So... You know, I know a lot about the sport. I know a lot about its history. I know a lot. I mean, I've written whatever, but I actually don't think I can give you a, a good answer here. I mean, it, but, but something is not right. I mean, clearly, um, you know, uh, uh, there is no question that the club um, got away with and emphasized being sort of just glamorous and selling jerseys, mm-hmm. and which is fine. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't see anything wrong with, with that in and of itself. Um, but, um, you know, Ed Woodward was no, uh, no winner to be sure. I no. mean, clearly having him in, in charge was not good. No. Um, and even, I would also argue that losing someone of the stature of, of uh, Sir Alex, Yeah. uh, has to be followed by a letdown.
0: Oh yeah, there's, uh, and there's uh, inevitable, I mean, there's no way.
1: Yeah, exactly, I mean, you know, Max Weber, the great German sociologist, teaches us that after every major charismatic leader, there is a hiatus, there, you know, it's just very difficult to take on the mantle of charisma for someone else, it's impossible.
0: It's like a mathematical so, inevitability almost. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, it's just the, uh, you know, So, so partly the letdown was that uh, as well, um, and you know his uh, glory years will never be replicated. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I'm I, you know I'm I'm very. What makes it even worse for me, in some level, and I'm sure on some level, and for you too, I'm sure, is not only that the United are just so inconsistent and 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 not not happy. It's just not. A, it doesn't exude a, a kind of things going well. But it, of course, coincides with the glory of two of our most bitter rivals, namely Liverpool. And, you know, and I really, really rue the day because I really think we could have had Klopp.
0: Oh, man, I know that would have been. And Klopp
1: would have been Klopp. Klopp is a united kind of guy, Mm -hmm. meaning Klopp plays the kind of football that would have thrived at united
0: absolutely and he's a great coach
1: i think he would have been anyway um so it goes and
0: uh, so it goes right That's, yeah
1: uh... there's a there's a an, a complete exclusivity between the two clubs because i'm you know uh, one could of course imagine that you know he could actually come to united but of course he will never do that yeah. unlike uh I mean, even the uh, you know exclusivity is even higher than between Real Madrid and 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 Barcelona. So uh, if you if you are uh, were the, the the manager at Liverpool, you'll never ever join United.
0: Yeah, well, I love the Vonnegut reference there, and so it goes. But the uh, I wanted to change tact a little bit, and it's I know it's going to be so challenging for you to encapsulate an, an incredible book and work on you know gaming the world and how short sports are reshaping global politics and culture. But one of the central themes amongst that book is the juxtaposition of soccer, in particular football being an agent of globalization, while at the same time further cementing antagonistic regionalism. I was just wondering, frankly, for my own benefit, but just to spend time with you, but for the viewers and listeners, if you could kind of Explain that concept a little bit more because it's fascinating and it's actually one of the central themes of our show um, that we constantly revisit. I just thought it was so fascinating. And if you could just illuminate us all, that would be so cool.
1: Sure. the 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 you meaning the 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 globalism.
0: Yeah, or? the kind of the the how soccer and football is are agents of globalization on one end, but it's also the, on the complete other side has further cemented antagonistic regionalism. Also,
1: right, and right, right. Just
0: kind of like an example or two of each, and and how they kind of the good and bad of it. I mean, there's so many sure. different directions sure. we could go, but I just found it fascinating.
1: Yeah. Well, sure. Look. Um Um, the game has become, I mean, first of all, the game uh, from the late 19th century when it actually is exported from England, uh, it really conquers the European continent and Latin America very quickly and it, so it actually was always a r- misnomer to call it a global game because there were major parts of the world where it actually did not play soccer mm-hmm. which were the cricket countries and the rugby countries and and various other places where it didn't it didn't exist or m- very minoritarianly like in the North American uh, uh, North American continent mm-hmm. Australia and so on and so forth and um, basically uh, uh, the argument is that uh, starting in the um, late 70s and early 80s, uh, it really starts becoming a global game, meaning that it now is obviously about to flourish, although maybe not yet conquer, but flourish in the United States, in Canada, etc., etc. And it is the global game, although there are other global games, basketball being one, um, and that this is a... Uh, uh, a phenomenal development uh, of uh, really universal universalizing it and actually creating a form of uh, of universal bond i mean you know we can now uh, you know through a jersey we can talk to people who are uh, you know messy and look at the messy jersey it's just incredible uh um, or or so that that in fact globalization is in form. In many ways, a very universalizing and actually democratizing and good thing. See, I always globalization actually is enlightening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, but in the in the, at the same time, uh, you have local. Uh, that ultimately in sports, uh, the authentic is always pre-capitalist. It's so interesting. It's actually not money, but it's actually pre-money or pre-capitalist entities that really give a sport its authenticity to those that follow it. So, for example, it's not Man City is less authentic than Burnley, meaning it it is something about local, the pre-capitalist, the pre-monetary thing that make it. Uh, uh, authentic i um worked on a paper which actually looks in the united states and that places like buffalo or detroit Mm -hmm. or pittsburgh are much more authentic than miami la and phoenix sure and that in fact hardship or 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 non-monetary dimensions including by the way not necessarily success Mm -hmm. but almost struggle yeah. to struggle, to overcome is authentic and lends it authenticity. And this is a very, very powerful in soccer, uh, actually in all sports. I just gave example for America, which is not, a, it's not about soccer, but, uh, and and that sort of cements a form of tribalism Yeah, and the tribalism, which is actually very, on some level, very nice, because it is a form of a Gemeinschaft of a, of a community of, of really something very dear and, Strong is also one of antagonism. So basically sports have two kinds of capital. Bridging capital, which is the, the globalizing, that you now um, leave your place in North Carolina and you arrive in Bangkok and there is a clearly a form of bridging capital between you and these other people via sure. United or very just even <clears throat> the game of soccer. But it's also bonding capital, and the bonding capital is the tribal one, and the tribal one is actually still there, and it, uh, in fact, is sometimes accentuated as the only form of authenticity. Uh, that it's actually not the the winning and the the down you know the the the, the downsides of city or of global clubs of Bayern in Germany is that it's. Successful, but above all, because it's rich mm-hmm. and richness actually is a form of almost like it's a for It is almost a, a pejorative uh, Even though we all strive for it, but it's really the, the the struggles that make us authentic and That then leads to this uh, form of tribalism, which interestingly is completely now part of fan culture but not of the players so when i uh, was you know a teenager or later and clearly the the the, the cleavage between rangers and celtic mm. was total in terms of not only the fans but the players mm-hmm. today the players are global right the fans are local right um so in fact localism is cherished as a form of authenticity by the fans
0: mm-hmm.
1: and is i mean it, Look at it all. It's all uh, the German fans kind of delight in the fact that they're pre-capitalist. This was this is what makes them authentic. So that's the the, the tension that exists, and which on the whole um, is, is 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 very um, very you know common um, on some level, not even objectionable. The where it uh, becomes objectionable is that it becomes also a form of exclusion of violence, et cetera, et cetera, which actually is unique to soccer. And, uh, you know, I've developed some thoughts about why that is the case, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it very much links to this form of tribalism, which also of course is a very strong, has a very strong male characteristic and other kinds.
0: That's fascinating. And that was really cool. And thank you for that. The, um, I also wanted to change tact a little bit because this is another topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is soccer in America and the constant struggle for it to get over the hump. And and you've written quite a bit about why that is the case, why it's been such a challenge. And there's so many incredible themes there. But one that I was just really fascinated by was you just you talked about the period of from 1870 to 1930 or thereabouts in America in particular, where there was this hyper sense of nationalism and trying to establish our, you know, America's kind of identity and sports took a major role in that. And a lot of uh, these sports were kind of cemented and ossified in the American mind that we can't ever quite seem to, supplant like we you know i I constantly think of espn and sports center and like pardon the interruption with kornheiser and Wilbon. i love that show love those guys but like kornheiser is the total he is basically that this he's the personification of this argument like he just will not yes let it into his mind body and soul and i just wonder if you could explain to myself and the viewers and listeners why that's the case. And what took place during this time frame that basically just made it impossible for soccer to dethrone the likes of baseball, football, basketball, yeah. and the, even some extent hockey?
1: Yeah. Um, well, um, the argument is about the frozen, uh, frozen party space. This comes from political science. And the argument is that with the rise of industrialization and then the prolifer- the entering of mass politics in terms of the vote what happens is that parties by the end of World War one become sort of the space and all these advanced industries it's not only America becomes frozen this is a very very famous argument uh, in political sociology and I transform this from po- politics to sports meaning that by the end of World War one if you actually have if you look at the sports space of all these countries the advanced industrial, Uh, societies, England, France, Germany, whatever, they actually remain more or less the same, meaning that the barrier of entry after 1920 becomes very high because between 1870, 1880, 1890, with the formation of the the working class, the male industrial working class, you, you develop the carriers of modern mass sports. And in the United States, that happens to have been baseball, It happens to have been football, which actually there's a whole story about this, why Harvard doesn't play and actually could have been soccer, but um, whatever, but that's, uh, there's another podcast. Um, (laughs) And basically the United States actually develops three sports, which is really unique. Most countries only have one. Mm -hmm. And so what I call the American sports space or the culture for the the sports culture has a, a limited space. And that is actually taken up by three uh, sports, actually even four with, with hockey. So by the time soccer arrives, uh, or soccer ha- wants to have a chance, it actually doesn't. It's already too late. And the reason that... Ac- soccer is played already in the 1880s, no problem. But in fact, it always constitutes itself as non-American. It sees itself as foreign. It It remains... Uh, it's actually a very interesting contrast to basketball. Basketball has many, many uh, ethnic leagues: the uh, the South Philadelphia Hebrew Association, the Sfaz of Philly, uh, the German, the Buffalo Germans. They have all kinds of ethnic groups that actually create basketball. But the the, the but what is more important is the other part of the hyphen. It's the American. So the German Americans. They're Uh, Jewish Americans, but the American part remains as essential in soccer. It actually is the other one. So they remain actually uh, um, more Hungarian or more Italian. There's a great study about basically the Hill in St. Louis, which looks at where Joe Garagiola is from. And also of course, Yogi Berra. Mm -hmm. And it shows that if you, for some reason identified more as Italian rather than American, you actually play soccer. Right. So in fact, uh, uh, at a time when baseball invents an entire myth to accentuate its Americanness, namely Day, which has nothing to do with the game itself, but in order to actually counter the danger of England and English being the rounders, no more rounders, no more rounders, they said the Monaco's, we actually are uh, original English, uh, American sport. Um, and of course it's beating or l- defeating cricket uh, baseball becomes this hyper national American sport. Soccer actually becomes a non American entity and always sees itself. Uh, you know, there is this guy, the first head of American soccer is this guy, uh, Manning, uh, who actually is a British guy with a German uh, uh, medical degree. And he always prides himself on being sort of in some ways non American. And then, of course, the disaster, the absolute disaster. Again, America being different, not better or it's just different. Um, the whole notion of American sports ultimately not being uh, not having an association or a, a paralegal status entity called the Federation and the league. This does not exist in American sports. The NBA does what it wants. There's no, no entity above it or the right. NFL. But in soccer, there is. <coughs> right. And this and, and this actually leads to, I would argue, the most disastrous thing in American soccer history, namely the soccer wars of the 1920s. If you look at soccer in the 1920s, it actually was actually surpassing football. It was the ASL, the American Soccer League in the East Coast, is actually a very good league. And what happens is that the, its teams uh, were also asked to play in the United States Open Cup. And of course, the league guys don't want them to do this, and they actually forbid them to do this. And three of the clubs actually say, "No, uh, uh, we will still play." And oh, if you go still play, we will uh, we will actually uh, uh, exclude you from the league. Whereupon the league uh, went and actually, um, uh, uh, whereupon these clubs actually go to the American uh, f- Federation, which, by the way, until 1974, always called itself. The Football Federation Association. So the word, the, the 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 game's identity itself is is still to this day. Yep. And that's one of the biggest problems. To so this day is actually contested. Yep. I cannot tell you, uh, man. I cannot tell you how often I gave various talks, and you know people say, Professor Markovitz, brilliant lecture, but please. Don't ever call this game soccer. It's football. Right. It, uh, please right. give me a break. This is crazy. It is. Uh, it... Football is called in America is a different sport. It, there's nothing wrong. You're not being you're not committing. And it's typically for a very often of the week to really become so uh, kind of uh, fixated on one nomenclature, one aspect. It's really like a form of a clanism about clan, like a clannish. Uh, form of of of, or, 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 you know, of 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 trying to actually um, be completely holier than thou, mm-hmm. and the point is that this is this in and of itself bespeaks a form of insecurity, and so basically to come back in 1930, by 1930 the league actually falls apart because of course the federation excludes the league and makes it a renegade league because it doesn't have its club play in uh, its clubs play in the in the cup competition and this duality it does not exist in america in american sports and leads the league to actually decline soccer would have had a chance to make it uh it doesn't and then it just look um these sports become their own, it's like a locomotive. Mm-hmm. You know, culture becomes, you know, it becomes all the, the accoutrements, the, the colors, the, the tastes, the sounds all become part of a culture which becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And there, there's limited space, and it's very hard for soccer to make it. But, 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 I'm actually optimistic Probably not before I die, but I really am optimistic that the United States will, in fact, develop soccer as a clear number five. Despite Tony Kornheiser, and yeah. uh, and and uh, by the way, it's amazing you said the same thing because I actually love the show. I love Kornheiser. I, I, yeah, I I, I, I watch it all soccer, the yeah. time, and for him, I wish I could actually come through to him and tell him, Tony don't you know he almost sees it a form of pride that he's ignorant about soccer
0: well he's like the perfect representation of like i actually view him as an intellectual guy he's really smart but he's just defiant and he is the personification of this argument in that he just refuses to let it in because he does view it as other and of the many themes that we talk about on this show one that we keep coming upon time and time again is that of xenophobia and how so many of these darby's around the world are rooted in we're from this country you're other and to someone like kornheiser who's a smart sophisticated guy is still perceived as other and i thought Um. you know he's a perfect example and there was in one of your books i literally got up went into the other room told my wife i was like look at this like I've been saying this, and we say this on the show, and again, I'm being hypocritical because I'm about to say this, and I am embrace other, I embrace all ethnicities in, in this country, but not everyone does. And we talk about how so many to this day, it's like if you're gonna have a soccer show, well, you gotta have a British guy, or you gotta have, oh. you know, and you argue that that's actually further hindered the advancement of the sport, By And that's kind of one of the things that we're trying to do with our little rinky-dink show here is to say, hey, listen, we're American, Joe Six Pack is, you know, you may want to, but we can pontificate as intellectually as anybody in the world on Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, Man City, Syria, La Liga, you name it, and be American. We don't have to get in. A, a European or South American, just to make it credible. We're trying, well, to, you know, we're trying to forge our way into this world.
1: But precisely because we are new at this, precisely because of that, we're culturally insecure, and we're culturally insecure. And because of that, we—or not—not I believe me, but uh, basically uh, are are again. This is about this clannishness. This is about this sort of that you can't use the word soccer. Because if you do, you clearly are an apostate. You are actually not, not, not the real deal. And right. the real deal means that you have to speak with a British accent. Right. And this, of course, adds to, I think, in general, a, 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 and I see this with all my dear Australian friends who agree with me totally, that this is still the power of, sort of, uh, of, of, of British colonialism. Yep. and even though even though we defeated british colonialism in 1776 it's actually culturally we never did and culturally there is this thing of if you are in fact a cosmopolitan in america you are actually also embracing uh the, the world which in this case also meaning embracing a form of britishness it's like you're a traitor that means i mean you know it's so the, so look Americans valorize British accents. If, it, if we didn't, the Beatles would have not made it so quickly as they did. And the whole English invasion was partly, not totally, but partly predicated on the fact that here were these amazing British stars who actually in, import African-American blues music from Chicago, above all the stones. and But however, they speak with a British accent, which, of course, Americans love. Mm-hmm. And so the instant... Instant uh, authenticity. Often, again, back to authenticity. What I what, what, that I talked about before about uh, uh, you know when we talked about rivalries or or, or or when we talked about the thing about localism. Authenticity is crucially important to creating anything new, mm-hmm. and you convey authentic, uh authenticity by in in soccer by speaking with a British accent. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, you know, it doesn't bother me, but I think it's horrible. I, I think shift. it's very sad that. That you know you don't have, uh, uh, you know more. Perf- I mean, can you imagine Grant Wall? Like, That's right. the late Grant Wall. I mean, h- excuse me, Grant Wall could be a-, a soccer guru on any show, any day, any time.
0: Yeah, anywhere I mean, no in the question. world. No
1: question. Right. Okay. He is a he is a towering figure in this uh, in this world of what was. I mean, amazing. And I doubt whether he would have been. I mean, he. Fox had him on for various World Cup after, you know, after, you know, various sort of coming on the show and talking about. But basically, um, it still has to be a British accent, which, you know, there's in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, But I think in some ways it underlines that it's somehow it's still not quite American. Yeah. And and Tony Kornheiser, whom I totally uh, like, just like you do. um, And I love the show. Yeah. Yeah. Almost makes it a form of a point of pride. Oh yeah, not to know. I mean, so is this is a guy who's so into knowing things, and then when it comes to soccer, he actually you could feel you could you could, you could almost wall. sense his pride that he he loves to be ignorant.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, and I it's...
1: almost I almost wanted to I always wanted to say Tony uh, being ignorant at your level is not a point of pride in anything.
0: And I know. Okay? I know. Well, Doctor Markovitz, as we discussed this. You're, we talk, uh, emailed about how there's going to be way too much for Stephen to talk about to do in one episode. And you said, we're going to have to do two. I'm, I'm actually thinking this might have to be a three part series if I beg you, but I want to, um, first of all, thank you, but I want to send, you know, get you to, cause we're not going to be able to get to all the best ofs, but I'll ask two best ofs. Well, number one, I want to get your all time Manchester United perfect 11, but then also would not, I would be remiss if I did not mention to the viewers and listeners another thing another passion that dr markovitz and i share is that is the love of the grateful dead and ah! yeah and dr markovitz for those that don't know has um attended 150 grateful dead shows in his life which is just unreal and wanted to get your perfect grateful dead set list so we'll do that we'll do those two best of and we'll save the others for the next episodes but if you could just r- give us your perfect menu for starting 11 and then you're okay so perfect,
1: perfect man okay, you uh starting 11 uh i'm actually debating i've thought about this i wanted to have schmeichel in there oh you got to but uh, you know maybe actually uh uh, uh david uh, david de gea Ooh. at his peak wow at his peak like in 2016 something unbelievable i love so, it so yeah. schmeichel
0: uh curveball uh
1: then uh uh c- clearly um uh G- Neville, um, Rio Ferdinand, uh, uh Nemanja Vidic, Evra, um the uh, in mid midfielders would be definitely Paul Scholes, definitely oh, yeah. Roy Keen, definitely uh Uh, Ryan Giggs. Oh yeah. And, uh, the front would be, um, George best, Wayne Rooney and uh, Ronaldo.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. And then, um, so I, get, well, two grateful dead questions, give us your perfect grateful dead set list. And then also, uh, again, for those, uh, deadhead aficionados out there, um, Dr. Markovitz's favorite Grateful Dead song is Morning Dew, uh, uh, one of my all time favorites as well, possibly even my number one. And wanted to get your favorite uh, version of, or just favorite era of that. We talked about is it Pigpen, Keith and Donna, or Brent era, Morning Dew? Uh, so. Matt, Matt, I just, I,
1: I just, I, you cannot tell, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to be on this. This is insane. <laughs>
0: I, it's, I, I, it's, I love it. Oh, man. Uh,
1: the best morning do, um, well, the best morning do for me personally was September 27, 1969 at Ooh, the Fillmore East when, uh, and I, I went to a Country Joe and the Fish concert yeah, yeah. and the Dead.
0: You wrote about and that. And awesome. And
1: the Country Joe and the Fish, uh, Fish were on first, and I really... You know, he, he was screaming, you know, whatever. and you say he you talked know, too the, much. He, he talked too much, and the <laughs> F word, everything was the F word, this, that, whatever. I was loud. And then, you know, it, around midnight, the dead come on, and they were announced, and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, suddenly, like five or six minutes later, sort of these uh, folks appear on the stage. These guys don't say anything or whatever, and start tuning their instruments. Mm-hmm. And out of this tuning, uh, they go into morning dew. And I fall in love and I will never, you know, to this day. And they played this
0: n- morning
1: dude that just, that just you know, made me into a deadhead from 1969 on to this day. So clearly to me that, and, it, and they start the set that way. Mm-hmm. So I w- it will be unforgettable because typically most bands until then that I went to, you know, always start with an upbeat, strong, you know, like, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, um, start me up by the stones or or you know uh uh, uh um, last time or some you know and the dead start with this slow, very mournful. slow yeah when I mean, you know, literally out of the tuning of their instruments mm-hmm. which was just something on every i think arguably though the best version may be on europe 72 oh
0: yeah yeah uh, i love that i also sh- i so i have a lot of deadhead friends that are have grown getting a little bit more and more into the like the 80s the brent era they love that stuff and i'm a an early dad i like a the, the a little bit faster morning dew a little bit bluesier I've, i love the pig pen influence like of course he's never the protagonist but just his his influence on those earlier days was a little bit chunkier I just kind of liked it. I love it.
1: Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually sort of in between. To me, it's I'm a definitely Keith, uh, uh, oh, Keith yeah. gotcha guy. Sure. I mean, those '70s shows. My God, seventy three, seventy four, seventy seven, and Lake oh, yeah. Lakeland, Lakeland, Florida. I went to. I mean, it's just incredible. Seventy seven,
0: Ithaca, Cornell, right? Uh, it's Cornell say one, the The best has, show of all time, and I, and
1: and actually, I, I saw I saw them a few. A few days later, or was it was sometime in May in Lake Lake Lakeland, Florida. Un, uh, incredible! So to me, uh, it's really the the. I also love the 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 great uh, Yamaha or or or, or, or um, you know the, the the classic piano sound that, that Keith played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was um,
0: classically trained. Yeah,
1: classically trained, but also the, the sound of it and not uh, just uh, just amazing. Um, I mean, the be, the uh, concert would be something like uh, starting with Jack Straw, into me and my uncle, into brown-eyed women, into um, let's see, brown-eyed women, into uh, uh, oh my God, uh, U.S. blues. I actually, I think I wrote it to you. Right? Yeah, I have yes. it here you if you me.
0: want some if you want some yeah, hints. Yeah,
1: yeah, i have cheated. You have.
0: Brown-eyed woman into Althea, into Deal. Yeah. Deal would make my list. So it, Althea. Um, yes. Intermission. Then you have Estimated Profit, China Cat, into Rider, Terrapin Station, Wharf Rat, Sugar Magnolia, Broke Down, Black Peter. Love that call. That's a that's a good one. Saint Stephen's up there for me. And then closing out with Dew, Encore with Box of Rain. When I paint my masterpiece, in so many roads.
1: There you go. I I. I, I, I. I could have not because I don't have it in front of me. I could have not done it. Straight. Well, you nailed so, most so, of it.
0: You got yeah 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 yeah. yeah. So
1: <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you 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 uh, uh, revealed this to the audience that I, what I wrote you because that, yeah exactly. And actually, to me, so many roads is uh, uh, I I just can't listen to that without crying. Uh, yeah. I mean it's 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 amazing. And actually, I I'm gonna go to see uh, Raising the Dead, a very nice local oh, nice. Uh, dead cover band, and they're playing actually. B- at the, uh, at the uh, uh, Little Caesars Arena uh, on January uh, Saturday, January f- uh, uh, 13th, before the, uh, the great uh, before the uh, Detroit Red Wings and LA uh, Kings game. And uh, awesome. uh, it was a wonderful <laughs> band and actually uh, it, it's sort of lead guitarist is a dear friend of mine is a professor oh, at awesome. Lawrence Technical U- University. And I, I have a major request for him to play so many roles. Oh, cool. Is, yeah.
0: I would have maybe snuck in some Looks Like Rain, maybe some He's Gone, maybe some Jimmy Rowe. But anyway, so Dr. Markovitz, I, mean, I only got to like a third of the all the incredible things I wanted to talk with you about. But I am just floored and so thankful and so grateful that you came on. You blew our minds, and uh, as I knew you would. And just wanted to thank you profusely, and maybe we can get you on even next month or month after. I, I want to—we didn't even get into the women's game. Um, so many other great things that you have really uh, pontificated on. And I just want to say thank you for everything that you've done for this country, for the fans of soccer, and it's just an unbelievable honor. Well,
1: Matt, uh, you have me on whenever you want. I'm around. Let Drop me a, a, a note, and I, we will do whatever you, women's game, whatever. It was a, a delight for me. This was just a great, great, great time. And, um, you know, let's do it again.
0: Awesome. Well, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Best to you and your family. Let's get those Red Devils back on track. And, yes. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much.
1: Okay. Bye, Matt.
0: Bye. See you. Bye-bye.